Okay, my darlings, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Fashion Weekend stage here at Emporium as part of the Melbourne Fashion Festival. I'm so glad you could all join us for this very exciting segment and addition to the Fashion Weekend stage. This next segment is presented by our friends at Fashion Journal. Uh, we're going to be doing a live podcast recording with our friends at Culture Club. Uh, I want you to give a huge round of applause and welcome Jasmine and Maggie to the stage. I know they've got a very special guest joining us today. So please let me hand you over to Culture Club. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Karen from Finance, for the introduction. Um, before we begin, we would just like to acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we are recording this podcast. Uh, we would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So welcome everyone to our chat today. Um, it's kind of ironic that we're doing it in a mall because we're going to be talking about sustainable fashion and more specifically greenwashing. Um, but before we get into it, we'll just give a little rundown of ourselves. So as Karen from Finance said, we are Culture Club, we're a pop culture and current affairs podcast um, discussing all things fashion, culture, celebrity gossip, all that. Yeah, so we started in lockdown last year, maybe in July, and it's been super fun since then. We've had a few guests like influencer Rowi Singh, we've had head of branding and marketing at uh, Clothing the Gap, Sienna Catullo, um, and now we're here, which is exciting. So my name is Maggie Zhao, I'm a 22-year-old writer and content creator, and obviously podcaster. Um, I've written for publications like Elle, Australia, MTV, Fashion Journal, of course, my favourite, um, well make clothes etc and I'm Jasmine similar to Maggie I'm a freelance writer and have also written for fashion journal Frankie and Rush as well as doing the podcast obviously <laughs> so first of all who knows what greenwashing is <laughs> little hands in the in the front here kind of Maggie do you want to say yes yeah, so greenwashing is an interesting thing so basically how I'll describe it short term, it's when a business employs marketing techniques to make them seem more eco-friendly than they actually are. And as we know, I feel like sustainability is a really hot topic at the moment. Everyone wants to look eco-friendly. Like we all know how good it is when you remember to bring your keep cup and you feel like an ethical queen. <laughs> yeah, and because it's becoming more normal and people are becoming more aware of it, um, I feel like well, I don't feel like we know that brands now are starting to greenwash. So basically, it's when you have a brand that says, okay, by 2030, 50% of our fibres will be recycled, um, yet they're still putting out three collections a month or even more, like hundreds yeah. of collections a year. So it's kind of like tricking consumers into feeling like they're doing the right thing for the environment when... It, they're not. They're greenwashing. <laughs> and Jazz, do you know where this term came from? I actually didn't know officially where this term came from until we researched for this. Yeah, I found it so weird because it's actually started to do with nothing to do with the fashion industry. So it was actually coined by an environmentalist, Jay Westerveld, in 1986. And it was so funny because he claimed that the hotel industry was promoting the reusing of towels as like an environmental tactic that you would, you know, save water and stuff. But he believed it was actually just to save money. So you know that, right? When you go to a hotel and you see that little sign that's like, if you want to keep on your towel, hang it up, don't throw it down. Yeah, I remember seeing them when I was a little kid and thinking like, 
oh my god that's so good like they're thinking about the environment but I mean I'm sure it's a reason (laughs) now but yeah it's interesting that that's where it came from but now we consume so much fashion and we need to keep on top of you know the messages that are getting put out to us yeah so it's like the question that I would ask next is how do we even spot greenwashing you know so I always look for buzzwords. There are so many nice words that brands employ, things like natural or eco-friendly, sustainable, green, clean. And actually, there's no regulations behind these words. So literally anyone can use them and make themselves seem, you know, much more environmentally friendly than they actually are. What else is there that we can spot? Also, when brands say in the future or we're on a journey of... I feel like it's hard to tell sometimes because it's good that they're putting that out there, they're aware of it, but also we need to get on top of this now. Like, this is a, we're in a climate emergency. Um, so there's that, as well as yapping on about recyclable packaging. Again, that's a good step forward. Like, recycling packaging is important, but um, sometimes it can be easier for brands to focus on that rather than getting to like the core issues which are one not paying garment workers enough and just producing so much and consuming so much so Mm. okay so let's get into some real life examples and this is when we're going to point out some brands right now so one I love to pick on is H&M which I think is kind of close to where we are right now. (laughs) So they've got a thing called their conscious collection where, you know, it's clothes that mainly are made out of recycled materials. Interestingly enough, um, that collection has 383 items that are selling in Australia, which is a lot of items. But that's out of there. I counted, like I did the maths, and they have 11,000 products on offer in Australia right now. So I think it kind of cancels it out. Yeah, and you've also got companies like Glassons also doing this at the moment. Like they're becoming quite insidious for it. There are also something something else that's interesting is the collaborations fast fashion brands do with like high fashion designers what do you think of that yeah so I actually just wrote an article about this for well-made clothes so H&M again picking on them they've collaborated with big names such as Versace, Comme des Garçons I'm going to butcher all these names I don't know why I'm trying Um, like Kenzo etc they just released one with Simone uh, Rotra on Thursday Um, beautiful collection it stars the um, normal people actress um Daisy Edgar Jones. Oh, God, yeah. So it looks beautiful. But anyway, um, it's so interesting because I was reading up the sustainability reports and production of these brands. And even though all their garments cost like thousands of dollars, their production's actually not very good at all. So H&M collabing with them doesn't necessarily make them seem more sustainable, but it gives them that like prestige and quality and luxuriousness that's associated with these brands, which in turn kind of amplify them to like a better status than they actually are. Exactly. It's also the accessibility and something we haven't touched on yet is that Mm. we need to acknowledge our privilege here in that fast fashion is accessible and it takes time to try to find either secondhand clothes or to like go through a brand's you know guidelines of what they're doing for their ethics also you've got size privilege a lot of the time these fashion brands do make larger sizes which for a lot of people like they don't have the choice to shop for like 
an independent smaller brand. Mm. Um, so that's something that we also need to be aware of when we're having these discussions. Yeah, let's even talk about what we're wearing today. So I'm in all secondhand clothes. My boots are from a friend and I got this dress in Japan, a vintage store. And I shop a lot of secondhand clothes. I go to op shops a lot. Um, and one thing being like having thin privilege and being straight size, it means that I can purchase from any section of the op shop and it will most likely fit me. Also, I have a lot of spare time on my hands, like Jazz says, so I can go through all the racks and that is just not accessible for a lot of people. Exactly. And today I'm actually wearing fast fashion. So <gasps> shock horror. I'm like up here preaching about it, but I'm wearing it. So um, I'm wearing shoes from Sports Girl that I don't even remember when I got them. A couple years old. My shorts are from H&M, again, maybe three years old. Um, my blazer is H&M. Like, it's very tempting to shop fast fashion. Um, my shirt, though, is from ABCH World, which is a local Melbourne ethical label. They're great. Um, but something that, like, you've taught me a lot, Mags, yes. <laughs> um, is that we kind of need to shift the narrative from... I can't afford fast fashion. Like, I was a uni student only last year. You're still a uni student. Um, and shifting the narrative from, like, I can't afford ethical labels, rather, but putting those, like, $40, you know, shirts and shorts, I think this blazer was, like, $50, like, adding them up and then investing in ethical fashion is, like, a mindset shift for people who can afford it, like, yeah. you know, people middle class or whatever. Yeah. And that's something that you've, I think taught a lot of people and it's good <laughs> a little Thank compliment you. yeah and I think the purpose of today as well is not to put like any blame on consumers at all we're mainly talking about the brands themselves and what they're doing and what they're saying so I find it interesting because I'm a Gen Z we're kind of known as like the Greta Thunberg generation when we all care about the environment and it is very pressing and very important so what I absolutely hate is brands that exploit this fear like I'm scared of our future brands know that and then they're going to profit off that um that's what I hate so insidious like that yeah and that's what these like particularly labels like Boohoo and Glassons are doing especially at the moment is making you feel like you're doing the right thing by shopping with them like I said sometimes if I like a piece I'll buy it from H&M but I know that I'm not being sustainable. I know that I'm not, like, helping the environment by doing that. But I think the hard part is knowing that these brands are trying to make you feel like you're doing the right thing. So even if you're buying, like, a dress or a shirt, they're going to say, like, oh, we've got recycled fibres. So, you know, you're helping the environment. But it's not. It's, like, just be upfront. I think that's what I dislike the most and why greenwashing is so insidious right now. So something that you have done a lot through your platform at Yeah Mags, if anyone wanted to check it out, <laughs> Follow me. Um, is actually like asking brands what are their missions and what they're doing for the environment. So if anyone's listening and wanted to do that, yeah. what advice would you give and like what questions can you ask brands if you want to know their ethics? I'm honestly a menace. Every brand like hates me now because I'm such a pest. Ugh. I always love digging around for information. So what I do before I even reach out to a brand is scour their website. They have a lot of information out there and I usually look at their about page or if they have a sustainability page, I'll go through that and look at as much as information as I can. But I'm usually still left dissatisfied. So in true 2021 fashion, I will slide into their DMs 
Um, and then I'm just happy to ask them almost whatever. Another thing I'd say is also public posts on like Instagram and Twitter are really good to bring public attention so brands kind of have more pressure to reply. Um, also emails can be good as well so you're kind of connected to an expert who knows what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, my big tips for this is tone. I used to be, yeah, again, a menace because I would go into these conversations quite angry and accusatory and brands would become very, I guess, um, defensive. So what I do now is kind of come to the conversation as a very curious and open customer. I kind of like flutter them a little bit. I'm, I usually start a conversation and this is true. Um, I'll be like, hey, I love your clothes so much. Um, <laughs> before I purchase something, I just love to know more about your sustainability and ethics because that's what's important to me. I looked on your website and found XYZ, but I'd actually love to know more about XYZ, usually about garment workers or stuff like that. Yeah. And then how do you like elaborate on that? Sometimes they can be quite, you know, sneaky, would you say? Yeah. A lot of the time they'll throw jargon at me or they will um, bring up a few certifications. So they might just be like, yeah, we're accredited with XY300. But of course, I don't know what that means. And a lot of the time, um, it's okay to just ask for clarification to, like, for what they mean. It's okay to be like, oh, hang on. Uh, You've mentioned that you pay your workers fair wages, but actually, is that a living wage? It's okay to ask these questions. Because so, at the end of the day, they're trying to sell you a product, not yeah. the other way around. So I guess this kind of flows into the topic of influencer culture. So you have a platform on your Instagram. Social media is a source of income for you. When did you realize that you could earn income from social media in general? Well, I've been on social media for too long. I think I hid my like Instagram account from my like sister, my mum for so long. I've been posting outfit photos for almost a decade. And back then, I don't think it was a massive career option. But definitely recently, it's um, become such a lucrative industry. And I do make most of my income from Instagram now. And it's very interesting because I'm not alone. A lot of people nowadays want this as a job title, hey? Yeah. So speaking of like greenwashing and influencer culture kind of intersecting um, a 2019 British study showed that social media influencer and YouTuber were the second and third dream job amongst children after doctor and before a veterinarian so this is like a very new yeah <laughs> no one wants to be a vet anymore what's the poor happen? animals <laughs> so it's a very new industry but it kind of taps into this like insidious, which I feel like is the word of the day, um, influencer market where now not only are the brands like telling you you should buy this, it's ethical, it's sustainable, like spend your money. Now we also have um, influencers who we trust or we're meant to trust um, also kind of giving these lukewarm messages about um, a brand's practices, I guess. Yeah, we're so connected to like influencers and YouTubers this day, uh, these days. Like, just last week, one of my favorite UK YouTubers, Zoe Sarg, um, announced that she's pregnant and she's having a baby girl. And I was talking to my friend here in the audience, and so many of us literally cried watching that reel. Like, this is technically a stranger to us, but we feel so attached. We have these interpersonal relationships with these people who literally don't know who we are. But then that can make you more likely to spend money mm. if you feel like these people are your friends. 
Um, I read an article on Forbes about the psychology of influencer marketing, and they say that it's perpetuating this pack mentality, which we've always had as humans, like we're social creatures, but like your pack would be your family or like in a past decades, like your closest friends and your peers. But now like you have what 16,000 followers in your pack, Mm. you know, and these people trust you. Yeah. It's like in Australia as well, we have such like a vibrant influencer scene. So even if we um, don't know these people, we know what Cardi Milan and Steph Claire Smith had for breakfast. So of course we ultimately trust them more. And I saw I'll pick up I'll pick on Glassons again. So they've got their new sustainability line and they've partnered with all these incredible influencers to promote this. And people I really look up to like Yan Yan Chan and Olive Cook and a lot of these girls are also kind of in the sustainability space. So by association, I was like, oh hang on, wait are they actually doing something good? Because I see people I trust talk about them. So I do think influencers have, like, a position of power here as well. And a responsibility. Um, Again, we have to say, like, get the check. You do you. If you want to buy fast fashion, buy fast fashion. But don't, I think, don't try to trick people into thinking they're doing a good thing. I do want to ask you about hauls, though. Oh, yeah. Because that's something else on social media that we see. I love watching a good haul, you know, monthly faves videos on YouTube or quick TikToks, you know, showing people's latest purchases. So you've been researching this recently, haven't you? Yeah. So I'm currently writing an article on this. And it's super interesting because it harks back to the influencer kind of discussion of just promoting that consumption but I don't think you're tricking anyone into thinking you're being sustainable with fashion hauls. Mm. Because essentially a haul is, if you're not aware, um, it's a type of content that kind of happened around the 2010s. It started um, being published um, mostly on YouTube, but then it has now jumped over to Instagram and TikTok and it's where someone will show you what they purchased, whether it's like beauty items, clothes. A lot of the time it's fast fashion and it's promoting that consumption of like normalizing getting a package every day or every week full of clothes that like you just don't need but do you think there can be another side to it do you think that there can be ethical holes oh my god I was gonna ask you this you read my mind because a lot of the people I follow they do like secondhand thrift hauls so it's with secondhand clothes or like slow fashion hauls showing off brands who perhaps are doing good do you think that's sustainable? I'm just, I just asked you the question that you asked me, hey? <laughs> well, that's what we do here. Mm-hmm. Um, we share the same brain. Anyway. Yeah, most of the time. I don't know. I think you can have an ethical op shop haul, but then at the end of the day, you're still promoting consumption. Mm. But we, both of us do that, don't we? Yeah, I mean, we're not telling everyone to stop purchasing anything. I mean, we need clothes. We don't want to be naked here on stage. Um, But I do think it can get into murky territory. I was someone who was obsessed with op shopping. And because everything's so cheap, I would just buy the hell out of the store. I'd just buy unnecessary things, things that didn't fit well or anything like that. So I do think it can be dangerous. I do like um, hauls, like op shop hauls that take a few months to accumulate. Like, hey, this is what I've bought over like a six-month period, not just one day. Yeah, once a week. Um, But I think what's interesting about that as well is sometimes people can justify 
doing hauls, buying a lot of product and saying, oh, but I'll send it back like once I'm, if I don't want it, if it's not the right size. But did you know that five billion pounds of waste is generated through returns, like if you didn't like an ASOS shirt, every year? They don't have the tools and the procedures to be able to take that shirt you don't want. They put it straight into landfill sometimes, not every yeah. brand, but a lot of these brands, they don't have the capacity. If you're, you know, millions of people are buying millions of items of clothing, how can they get that back, make sure there's no stains on it, that you haven't actually worn it? They, it's too much effort. They're just going to chuck it in the bin, chuck it in landfill. Um, so that was from the BBC, yeah. just referencing. <laughs> um, oh, my God, I feel so sad. I used to do this trick um, where, do you know when you have to spend, like, a certain amount to get free shipping? So if I was purchasing from a store, um, like, fast fashion stores, um, and let's say I had to spend, like, 60 bucks, I had 40 bucks, I was like, okay, let me just, like, buy a $20 T-shirt to get the free shipping and then send it back. And I feel like that was so naughty. But what I did, what I did do to counter that was um, you can sometimes return in stores if that's possible. And I'm hoping it won't get returned to landfill, sent to landfill there. But yeah. you can't do that with like ASOS and exactly. Iconic and Boohoo, yeah. et cetera. So either way, halls, influencers, and the greenwashing from past fashion brands are all contributing to this culture of People thinking they're doing the right thing, that they're helping the environment when they're not. I think a good rule of thumb is if a brand is producing, like, if every time you walk into a store and they're producing new clothes, you have to think to yourself, okay, where are those clothes going? Who's wearing them? What are they doing with the stuff they don't want? And even if it's made out of, like, linen or cotton, like, can that ever be sustainable? I don't think so. Oh, I feel like this is a very doom and gloom conversation we're having today. And also Um, that, like, we feel like we're on our soapbox, literally, like, (laughs) you know, ranting about this, but we're not perfect either. Of course. we all live in a capitalist society. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. We all know that. But I think just, like, taking the time to critically think about what these brands are trying to sell you Mm. and being aware of those, like, buzzword terms of recyclable you know, green, all those, then you'll be more aware of it. Yeah, and I also want to point to a nice kind of uplifting quote, I would say. So it's by um, one of the founders of Fashion Revolution, which is a global nonprofit that kind of deals in these matters. And she said, the most sustainable garment is the one that's already in your wardrobe. So we're not here to tell you to go spend thousands of dollars at independent designers but actually also support them um but you know look at what you already own i think that's something that we can learn today i love looking one of my friends danny duncan um from new zealand she has a great saying where she says shop your own wardrobes not even just like wear your own clothes but kind of be fun like you know look at it with fresh eyes kind of be experimental with it that's what i kind of like doing but it is hard Mm. But that's a good... Sorry, to down it again. (laughs) But I'm just like, yeah. I think that's a good way to think about it. Actually, another thing that just popped into my head as well, like, we don't talk about this enough because we talk about how we should rewear our clothes a lot, like, wear them for years. But what about when you're bloody growing and you don't fit in your clothes? I've had to give away, like, quite a few of my clothes, and I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel that sustainable. But that's the reality of it as well. We can't... There's not, like, one nice answer fixes everything i think that's the thing with all like environmental issues we were at um, an event last night for the nobody times homie pop-up and 
they had like upcycled you know materials they were doing a great job and then um there was like some food on the table like we were picking at the food and we we're thinking about food waste and not saying that they were going to do that but like we were just thinking about it um and maggie was like but there's no option that's ever 100% perfect unless we live like you know the way we did thousands of years ago there's no one way to be completely perfect and there's a lot of pressure as well to be the yeah be perfect with this but it's a learning process and you just have to do the best you can i guess yeah well now that we've learned what not to do i would like to welcome christina from rosa rosa the label to the stage to talk about her own ethical and sustainable brand at just 23 years old she's the owner of a label that's proudly peter approved vegan cruelty free and handmade in melbourne in small batches so welcome christina hey guys thanks for having me so can you just first of all tell us a little about yourself um, well, my name's Christina, as Maggie said. Um, I'm the founder of Rosa Rosa the Label, which I started two years ago in March 2019. At uni, I studied a Bachelor of Branded Fashion Design at Billy Blue College of Design, which was more business-focused as opposed to um, your standard fashion courses that, you know, focus on construction and making clothes. This was more a holistic view, which really I thought was really good to have. And I'm not sure what else to say about myself. <laughs> I love that. That's pretty good. I'm just curious. What made you want to start your own fashion label? You were 21 when you started. Sorry, I can't get my head around that. <laughs> so I was a major nerd. I finished my uni degree in two years because, you know, I just like when everything hurries up. Um, so I was only 20 when I landed my first design job um, at a fast fashion brand, actually. So... 20 years old working in a fast fashion company in design I was pretty happy like it was you know kind of living the dream at that stage my life plan had been working out really well but I was kind of going on my own little journey in terms of veganism sustainability and kind of working out who I wanted to be and what my impact on the world was going to look like for my future and going into work every day and I used to work lots and lots of hours <laughs> it was kind of becoming apparent that I'm not really working on what I'm trying to be. Like, it's not really agreeing with the lifestyle that I'm trying to promote, um, being a fast fashion brand and, you know, contributing to all the waste, to all of the slave labour, if you would say, you know, to all of the terrible, terrible impacts. So that's when I just decided, well, I don't know much about this, but I want to tell people about this. I also wanted to create clothes that had my quirkiness of style or something that, you know, being in my young, young 20s, something that I would like um, because I found at the time a lot of ethical brands, not anymore, there's lots available now, but a lot of ethical brands at that time were very minimal and very simplistic in their designs. So that's when I just decided, hey, why don't I just give this a shot? So a few months later... That's what I did. <laughs> and if you want a sense of Rosa Rosa, you're wearing your pants. Yeah, there. yeah, these so are the last kind of stuff. pants. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how does sustainability intersect with your brand? Like, how do you make sure that you're sustainable? I would say that since the very beginning, sustainability has always been something that's been important in Rosa Rosa. The main focus of the brand was to be ethical, so to focus on veganism, to focus on small production 
So in terms of being sustainable, we, I say we, it's myself and my baby Rosa Rosa, it's nobody <laughs> else, but I decided that I wanted to cur- curate really small collections so that everything was really, there wasn't high numbers of quantities, it was only a certain amount of pieces and once they sold they were never coming back. I wanted to make sure that in cutting of these pieces that the fabric design, the fabric waste was really, really minimal. But in terms of sustainability moving forward, you know, we can never be perfect. And last year I was thinking to myself during lockdown, what can I do to do more? Because I don't feel like I'm doing enough. So that's when I decided that I think that I can be doing more. So why don't I use fabrics that have a longer lifestyle, that, yeah, have a better impact in longevity. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. What materials are they? Um, so I'm going to be using bamboo and hemp because they're supposed to be the most sustainable. And then things are always changing. There's always new fabrications coming out. So I'll definitely be throwing myself into research as to what's the best thing. But, yeah, my new collection coming out in middle of April will be bamboo and hemp based. Amazing. I also want to know, being a Gen Z, hey, what has been – what has it been like – as a young person running your own business? I think from the outside it all looks very good that I'm running this business. (laughs) Honestly, it looks like your life is photo shoots and designing cool clothes and going to events like this. I love that. The reality is it's really just me at home in my pyjamas behind my computer, like, "Mm, what should we do? (laughs) But um, I guess the thing about being in this generation in comparison to my parents and my grandparents is that they didn't have these types of opportunities that we have today. And I think I've just been really lucky to have that, yeah, like availability to follow my dreams and just decide to do this. So it's been really good to throw myself into it. I definitely didn't think I would do it this young, but I think if I had planned it a little bit more that it would have had a worse outcome because you end up being in your head or thinking too much and you can never be perfect. So learning as you go along is definitely something that I've enjoyed doing because, you know, there's no better way to learn than just to do it. And what would you say is the hardest part of running your own sustainable label? That's a tricky one, but the one that people don't like to talk about is probably the big financial strain. Um, You know, manufacturing in Australia is really, really expensive in comparison to manufacturing overseas. Um, But that's something that was important to me and that I wanted to do. So I'm sticking by that because there's no better way to be ethical than to do it on your own shore. Um, that comes with financial strain because I wanted my clothing to be accessible to, you know, my friends and people my age and not people who, you know, are 10, 20 years older with full-time jobs that, you know, like you were saying before, have that income to spend. So in terms of margins, because I wanted to make it more accessible, it was, my margins were a lot lower than what other fashion brands are, which I'm okay with, but... In developing the brand, I've kind of realised I need to do I need to up them a tiny bit just so that I can keep running Rosa Rosa and we don't have to come to an end. But I think that that's okay. And I've had a lot of messages from lovely customers saying, "I just want to ask why they're so cheap." Like, exactly. I would, and they've been lovely. They've said I'd pay more, and I'm just honest because I'm honest about everything. I don't think there's any reason to lie because there why? just isn't. Why lie? You have to be honest, especially from a, being a brand like. All they do is lie, really. (laughs) If we've learnt anything today. (laughs) Exactly. 
All right. Well, how about what has been your favourite part of running Rosa Rosa the label? Oh, there's been too many. I've had a really, really great first year. The second year was in lockdown, so it wasn't as eventful, but especially seeing people in your clothing, that's really weird. Like, oh my God, it's so strange. Like, you see someone, one time I saw someone walking down the street and I was like, hey, that's a cute dress. Wait, what the hell? That's mine. That and was really so cool. fun as well. Like, you'll definitely notice that yeah. it's not like a black jacket or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was so cool. And especially because I was so young and I didn't really think that it anybody would wear my clothes I just kind of thought it was a distant thing or when I first started you know all of my friends were so supportive so of course they were wearing it but then when I got my first like random customer I was like hey who's this girl but I've also created really good friendships with a lot of my customers um it's been really really lovely to connect with people who have you know similar um, values and yeah we connect on a on a different level so I actually, yeah, I'm happy to say that I can call quite a few of them friends now. I think that's so sweet. You would never get that experience if you were shopping at Zara, right? Not the CEO of Zara being like, oh, my God, cute customer (laughs) from Melbourne. So I think it is so special to remember that brands brands are made made up of people too. And seeing like a face behind a small business like yours just kind of reiterates just how important it is to support local. I know we kind of use those buzz terms a lot, but having you literally in front of me, I'm like, yeah, like, let's support her. (laughs) I love that. Thank you. And if someone was listening who wanted to start their own ethical label, what advice would you give them? Probably just work out what morals are true to you and stick to them because it can be very easy to want to please everybody, but at the end of the day, you've got to do what's right to you. Um, And... Yeah, you can't do everything, but you also, at the same time, you've just got to jump in there and do it because I never thought I would be doing this and all of a sudden here I am. Who would have thought I would have been sitting here today with you girls? So, yeah, just jump in and do it because you never get a second chance. Or you will get a second chance, but the chance is today. (laughs) Do it now. Yeah, do it. I love that. And what is on the cards for you this year? So, as I briefly touched on... Um, in the middle of April, I'm going to be launching this, this our new collection, which is very sustainability focused. And from there onwards, continuing to acknowledge that. Um, also, it's our second birthday today. Oh, um, birthday. <laughs> thank you. So I'm also having a big birthday sale on our website just to, you know, thank everybody for all, everything that they've done and supported me so far. I kind of want to go back to a thing you were talking about before about your parents and your grandparents and how they didn't have the opportunities that you have today. But I also think it's interesting that, like, our generation, and I guess depending on how young your parents are, like, are the first generation of having this, like, hyper-consumerism and those fast fashion labels. Like, for your grandparents, I'm sure everything was sustainable to an extent. Mm. Everything was slower and, like, you'd go to your local, like, seamstress or whatever. What do you think of that when you're talking to your family like do they find what you're doing interesting or I think yeah. so I think it's kind of been in the what last 10 20 years that fast fashion has really been a thing right and I think for my mum now she understands because I've explained to her and she's watching everything that I'm doing you know the reasons why but also on the other end she never even thought about it she thought oh wow clothes are so much cheaper than they used to be or in terms of tvs or microwaves or you know house things like they're so much cheaper than they used to be so that's a great thing but actually knowing your impact is something that I don't think we've ever had the privilege of knowing before because yeah. especially back then, it's, unless it was your local milkman or whatever, you wouldn't really know where it was coming from. Yeah. 
So, yeah, on the topic of family as well, do you want to explain um, the name, like, uh, your yeah. reasoning behind yes. Rosa Rosa and the label? Um, so my grandmother's name is Rosina, and I never got to meet her. Um, she was my mum's mum, and I just feel like I have a very strong connection with her. So my middle name's Rose as well, so mm. just in honour of her. That's so sweet. I love that. And, like, again, we wouldn't have known that if you weren't, you know, uh, if you weren't a smaller brand or independent, I should say. Mm. And I also want to ask you, what are your hopes, I guess, for the future of the, like, independent local Australian fashion industry? What do you hope to see? I think I've seen a big change, especially since starting Rosa Rosa. I think those two years there's just been a massive shift in awareness and I think that that's just so great to see I think I would just love to see it progress and continue and I hate greenwashing and seeing all those big brands but at the same time it is kind of good that they're pushing because they know that they have to do that to stay current like I think it's so good that everyone knows that that's the latest thing and that hopefully it'll be a very long lasting thing yeah that's something we didn't really talk about as well it was like is it good that they're doing that because we've just been like no like this is awful well, no. I, I have that. People ask me that quite a bit, and I'm quite adamant in saying that I still don't think it's a good thing because it reduces, I guess, sustainability and like ethicalness as like a token. Like it's like a little pretty badge you can put on, but yeah. it's actually not making any real change. So I do understand that it's good that we're talking more about sustainability, but I think if it's under like a false facade like that, it's still doing more harm than good. Again, another downer. <laughs> Yeah, I think I agree. Well, I think that's everything. We've covered, like, a lot. Gone on a few rants. So we hope you enjoyed it today. We hope you learned something new. If you want to hear more of us, we're at Culture Club Pod on Instagram and also Culture Club on wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, and where can we find you, Christina, if we want to get um, our hands on some threads like yours? (laughs) At Rosa Rosa the Label on Instagram and website and Facebook, of course. And we'd also just like to thank Melbourne Fashion Festival for having us and Fashion Journal for supporting us through our whole careers. We were both interns there and now here we are. So thanks to Fashion Journal as well for having us today. Amazing. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. (laughs)